Let us pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks this day for the chance to come together in worship, to come together as wanderers, as sojourners, as people on a path seeking to follow you. Help us, God, to see something new in our text today. Amen. I've been thinking a lot about travel recently. For most of us, we've been pretty sidelined in our travel lately. And even if you have been traveling, your travel hasn't been very typical. So I wonder if, as we're beginning to think about life after the vaccine distribution is sufficient to warrant a return to travel, I, I wonder if travel's on my mind because of that. I wonder if people are beginning to think about where they'll go or what they'll do. For some of us, it will mean seeing family and not just seeing them from a distance, but being able to feel safe about hugging them and being close to them. For many of you, it will be a return to business travel, which may or may not be welcomed. And for others, some vacation travel. I think probably for most of us, some vacation travel after being unable to do so might be at the top of your mind. As I've thought about vacation trips lately, I wonder what type of vacationer you are. I've known a variety of types, and while it's always impossible to completely categorize people, I think there are some varied characteristics that I've seen come up. For instance, there are the people who research extensively beforehand. They'll go to the library or the bookstore and search every corner of the internet. They want to know the best restaurants to visit, the trails to hike, the hole-in-a-wall shops or the side alley delectable that no one knows about. These individuals often plan their vacations way in advance. They might even talk about the trip with others in person or online, even complete strangers. Their preparations for the journey are thorough, and they're ready to do the things they've planned. Those experiences are key to them. Then there are the people who don't really care where they go or what they'll do. They're just excited to get away. And in fact, they don't want to do all the planning. They want to take a break. For some of these folks, it's more about the climate or the type of trip than it is about the specifics. Hopefully, they're also excited about the company with whom they're traveling. There are so many other types and so many different ways to, uh, to categorize or generalize. There are the people who start packing months in advance. They might even have a vacation packing room. I've heard about this sometimes where, where they start assembling their items. And then there are the people who are still doing a load of laundry a few hours before leaving for the airport. The interesting thing about all these types of travelers is that whatever their preparations are and whatever their preconceptions are, it's in the act of travel, it's in the, the journey that their actual experience becomes their reality. Aside from virtual reality technology, which I've never used and don't really understand, our stepping into the journey it's the only way that we can truly have these experiences of travel or, or really our experiences of just about anything in our lives. And frankly, sometimes the expectations that we build up surpass the actual experience. But other times, and in many wonderful ways, our own experience of the smells 
or the sights or the sounds eclipses those descriptions of others, the ones we've read. Seeing, feeling, hearing, experiencing, these are all believing. There are so many phrases that stem from this, right? I'll have to see it to believe it. Show me. Let me have a look. I'll have to see it with my own eyes. We're skeptical by nature, but I also think the desire to experience things for ourselves is part of our multi-sensory makeup. When we have experiences, we use all of our senses and our intellect and our emotions. These all come into play. The things we've heard, our expectations, and even the experiences of others, these all matter, but they're not the same as our own experience. While this is all true, while our individual experiences are critical, we rely on various signals and signs, various nudgings and encouragements, various indicators along the journey that help to guide us to our experiences. We look at maps, we read descriptions, we gather data. We do all of this to make sure we will get to where we need to go. But we also do it to help us know where we're going and to tune our senses to be prepared for the experience. Several years ago, before taking a trip to Hawaii with some friends, my friend read about a woman who was selling malasadas. I wonder if you've heard of these. They are a donut-like deep-fried sweet treat. And this woman was selling them, was known to sell them in a Kmart parking lot on the island of Kauai, where we were going. People online said they were absolutely amazing. They also warned that you never knew when she'd be there, when she'd open, when she'd close. But you knew that you needed to try them. Of course we went. And we were lucky to have her malasadas. We, we had tracked reports of her patterns and we ended up not having to wait very long. We just waited a bit in this parking lot before we had this brown paper bag of cinnamon and sugar dusted fried dough. By the way, I did a little research and found out that she has retired. So you're going to have to do some fresh, fresh research on the best malasadas. She's not there anymore. If we hadn't read about that little green shack in front of the Kmart, I don't imagine we would have ever sat in that paved strip mall parking lot and waited. In fact, I didn't trust the information at the time. I was skeptical because I felt like we were as far away from paradise in that moment as we could be. A big box retailer in a parking lot away from the beach. But we had information. We had knowledge. And even equipped with the knowledge, though, I remained skeptical. And it wasn't until the window on the green shack was opened and the smell permeated the air and people started lining up and walking away with their own paper sacks. We bought too many, if that's even possible. The oil seeping through the black or the, the brown bag, darkening it a little bit. And we stood in that parking lot, hot from the sun, bouncing off the asphalt, the humidity coating us and soaking through our clothes, and we ate the best malasadas ever. We experienced them ourselves. 
the intersection of story and experience. The intersection of story and experience is at the core of our gospel lesson today. The intersection of skepticism and conviction. The intersection, perhaps, even of intellect of research and a willingness to find out if it might just be true. Nathaniel does not appear many times in the New Testament. In fact, our lesson this morning is really the only substantive time we see this individual. In this first chapter of John's gospel, there's a rapid succession of events. In fact, it starts with some familiar poetic words. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And after these poetic verses, John jumps right into the baptism of Jesus. We looked at this last week in the account in Mark's gospel. You'll notice in John's gospel, if you look at it, that just like Mark's gospel, there's no birth of Jesus narrative. There's nothing about the early years of Jesus' Jesus's life. We jump straight into the start of Jesus' ministry. In the days right after his baptism, Jesus calls the first disciples, and they go with him. And then we pick up in this morning's text, like Paul said, where Jesus and those initial, initial disciples, they leave, and they go to Galilee. Jesus says those famous words to Philip. He says, follow me. And this part of the text is easy to pass over quickly because, well, Philip very quickly, it seems, drops what he's doing and goes with Jesus. In fact, in John's gospel, each of the people so far who Jesus has invited to go with him, they simply go. Next Sunday, we're going to look at this more closely using the account in Mark's gospel. But after these fishermen are so quick to follow, Philip goes and gets his friend. Philip is clearly excited. He wants to share, he wants to share the good news. He goes and gets his friend's friend Nathaniel, and he tells him, come with me. We've found the one that we've read about. He says, he says this, he says, we have found him about whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathaniel's reaction is anything but enthusiastic. In fact, he's downright rude and makes an insult toward Nazareth. He says, what good can come out of Nazareth? His friend asks him to come and see. And Nathaniel goes and he faces Jesus, presumably with the same skepticism and distrust that he expresses to Philip. Now, we have to fill in the blanks of this story, though, because the account we have is pretty light on details. What we know is that Philip says, come and see, and the next thing we know, and the next thing we know is that it is Jesus who sees Nathaniel coming toward him. The only conclusion I can draw here is that when Philip encouraged Nathaniel to come and see, the only thing I can conclude is that Nathaniel, with all of his skepticism and distrust, with his disgust for what he saw as a worthless backwater town, with all this baggage, with all this doubt and discouragement and his lack of being convinced, with all of this, he goes. He goes with his friend. And the rest of this text is confusing without a little bit of explanation. 
There's this confusing dance between Nathaniel and Jesus. But much of what's going on here is, is it's kind of like code that makes it confusing for us, but for early listeners would have made much more sense. Nathaniel is educated. Like Jesus, he knows the scriptures. He's, he's read the reviews about the Malasada lady in the parking lot at Kmart. Even if he doesn't quite get that something good can come out of a parking lot in a strip mall miles away from the beach, he knows of it. But when he encounters Jesus, all of what Nathaniel has studied and learned begins to be revealed right in front of him. Jesus knows things about him, and Jesus reveals something to Nathaniel, something in his actions and in his words and in his interactions with Nathaniel, something that convinces Nathaniel that Jesus is the one worthy to be called the Son of God. That's something. That something that that happens comes not out of a random happenstance. It comes in part because of a few things. First, Nathaniel listened to his friend. His friend Philip shared the story of his own experience. He shared his experience and he wanted Nathaniel to be a part of the story. We're so quick to share our experiences with others, right? Experiences of the best bottle of wine we've had or our favorite travel destination or the best schools or coffee or clothes, all of the things that we experience in our life. And Philip shares with his friend about this goodness of Christ that he has encountered, and he invites his friend to experience it. When Nathaniel is invited by his friend, when he goes with Philip, Nathaniel brings his skepticism. He doesn't hide it, and he doesn't ignore it. He listens to his friend. He even follows curiously and cautiously, but he is honest. And Jesus meets him in that honesty. Jesus sees him in that honesty. And it is Jesus who then bridges the distance, who comes to Nathanael and meets him where he is. And it is Jesus who is then revealed to Nathanael as the Son of God. There's another piece here, though. Nathaniel recognizes Jesus not because of some celestial breaking open of the skies. And remember, we just had that at the baptism of Jesus. John the Baptist heard heavenly voices declaring who Jesus is, and he sees the Spirit come down like a dove. But for Nathaniel, we see none of that. We know that it's possible, but instead... What we see is that Nathaniel is able to see Christ because Nathaniel knows through scripture and through his longing for an encounter with God what God will look like. He knows from his intellectual knowledge how he will, how he will experience Christ in the world. He's read the reviews. He's understood the path. And so when he encounters Christ, he knows who it is, and his life in that moment is transformed. Friends, we live in a world in which Christ still dwells. We live in a world, too, in which you and me are invited to find and follow Christ. And when we find Christ, we are called, like Nathaniel, to not just follow, 
but to recognize the wonder of what it means to follow the Son of God, the King of Israel. And we're called also to prepare ourselves to see and identify Christ in our midst. We'll have Phillips along the way, and we'll be Phillips to others, inviting and being invited to come and see this one, to come and see this one that led Martin Luther King Jr. to stand up to racial injustices and to create a legacy that continues to inspire us to action. To see the one who encourages people to choose love over hate, but also to choose to hate the ways that people oppress others and to stand up to evil. To see and be known by the one who gives strength to those who stand up to lies and distortions of the gospel, whether on the internet or in the church or in the public square. We see Christ in the world when we know who we're looking for. We know who we're looking for when we look at how Christ lived, how Christ loved, and how Christ envisioned the reconciliation of the world. We look for the signs. We follow the tracks left by the feet of the one we call the Son of God. We walk toward this one, even when we're confused as to who it is we're following. And then we allow God to be God. We allow God to be revealed to us as the one who promises love, who designed us to be love, and who invites us to be God's partners in love in the world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.